Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition, where we talk about the Bible and relevance for today every Tuesday at 2. My name is Justin Dobbs. And let me invite you to interact with us live. You can use the live chat on YouTube. We'll be watching that throughout our discussion today. But if you have other questions or comments after our discussion and you want to, us to talk about those things, uh, you can contact us on our website at BibleQuest.tv. Uh, we want to talk with you about your questions and concerns in your journey to know the Lord and His Word. And today we have with us Scott Smelser. Scott, you doing all right? I'm doing all right. How about you, Justin? Doing well, thank God. Yeah. Um, I'm home alone with the kids. Uh, my wife is uh, currently out of town for a few days. So, so you're setting up booby traps? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Around the cookie jars. That's right. Yeah. Uh, they're good. They're really good kids. Um, very responsible and they, they stick to the task. We homeschool, so that makes things flexible, but it also puts you know, more responsibility on the parent. So, um, but for today's discussion, uh, they are they are staying out of the way and, and allowing me some time to do this. So it works great. And uh, we're going to be talking about the work of an evangelist. I'm uh, really excited to to hear from you, kind of your thoughts about this, specifically what the Bible says about this kind of work. Um, I know you and I have talked a lot about this, and and I've gotten advice from you before about where to do this kind of work. And what are some priorities I should have in this work? Um, but first of all, maybe we should just define the term. What what is an evangelist? Oh, that is a good question. So there's some words in our Bible that a lot of people know are the same root word, but some may not. Good news, gospel. Um, so in Greek, it's euangelion is the word for gospel. And the angelion part is where we get our word angel, right. which is a messenger. Right. And uh, the EU part is is a good, a good message. Uh, and so Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the angelion. I'm not ashamed of the good news uh, of Jesus Christ. And an evangelist, euangelionist, is a good user. He's <laughs> that, that sounds like a modern day sect or something like a good news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's right. It's, it's so the word good news shows up a few times, but then a good newser or a good messenger uh, only shows up about three times, I think, in the New Testament. Uh, it shows up once in Acts to refer to um, to Philip. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and he he had done miracles before in Samaria, uh, had had hands laid on him back in Acts six. Uh, he and Stephen and, and the other seven, um, they they were doing miracles and teaching. And Philip ends up going to Samaria in Acts eight, teaches the Ethiopian eunuch, and then ends up there in Caesarea. Paul bumps into him later, uh, and then it refers to uh, to the work that Timothy's supposed to do. You know, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Uh, I want to talk about that in a moment. Um, and then one other occasion in Ephesians 4, where it talks about the different gifts that Jesus gives the church. So when you think about the the fact that an evangelist is supposed to be a gift to, I said local church, some of those are gifts just, I think, to the church in general, maybe not even a local church. Um what what exactly is the work of an evangelist that's supposed to be a gift? Well, God, everything that we've got in the world, including the world and ourselves, is a gift to God. 
And so God put God put nature here. And Romans 1 says we can see the invisible things of God by looking at nature, which is something he gave us. Um, the prophecies of the Old Testament are given. The good news is given. So it's all part of God's plan uh, uh, to, to, to get the word spread. Um, I don't think we should spend too much time focused on how gifted we think we are. And God gave me this special, special gift. Somebody might think, oh, I'm such a good speaker. And, you know, the Corinthians did not think Paul was a good speaker. Hmm. But he was a good evangelist. So sometimes what people think of as, you know, did it entertaining? Was it short? Did it keep my interest? Was it funny? Did it, you know, touch my heart? And Joel Osteen has, you know, millions of people, I guess, follow him. And he, he's not an evangelist. Wow. He only pushes good newsy sounding things. And how and that sounds like a contradiction to what I said before. But when Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the good news, he immediately backed up the bad news. Because he says, because the bad news is everybody sinned and God is upset with the sin and you can't fix your sin. Chapter three, the good news is Jesus died for your sins. Yeah. Uh, so let's take that passage in Timothy where it says, uh, do the work of evangelist. And right before that, he said, what? Preach the word. This is 1 Timothy 4, verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. The time will come when they will not endure sound teaching. Having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers through their own passions. will turn away from listening to the truth, wander off into myths. As for you, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. And that, that word there in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, uh, people will not endure sound teaching, that, that sound healthy teaching. Right. So I often think of the, the purpose of an evangelist is to, is to help Christians be healthy. Yeah. Uh, and, and not just Christians, but, you know, in seeking and saving the lost, you know, they are sharing the good news with others. And you see that work in Philip, like we mentioned with Samaria or Ethiopian eunuch. Um, I used to have the idea that an evangelist primarily should be focused on seeking the lost, but there's a lot of emphasis on Timothy working with this church here in Ephesus. Um, and so, so a lot of it is like in Ephesians 4, Colossians 1 is actually one of my favorite passages to think about the work, even though it's not talking about an evangelist specifically, but it was the idea that Paul had when he went to, to help uh, Jesus' disciples. In Colossians 1 verse 28, says that him we proclaim, Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So, so Paul's efforts, all of his toils and hardships, they were born up so that Christians could be mature. Uh, and so that healthy teaching, that sound teaching, there's a lot of stuff out there that's just 
fluff or unhealthy or detrimental to a Christian's spiritual well-being. And so most, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all fluff. Yeah. So, and I like what you said a moment ago that it's not it's not so much on our ability as a messenger uh, or thinking about me as the gift <laughs> to people. It's about the work that's being done. You know, the gospel is the gift. And so the work of an evangelist has got to be in expressing the truth of God's word and helping people to apply it. Um, yeah. And you brought up something important. Uh, being an evangelist and teaching the gospel involves going out and teaching the lost and also teaching brethren. Uh, so in Romans, Right before Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he said in Romans 1.15, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Well, he's writing to Christians. But he wants to preach the gospel to them. And over the next few chapters, he is preaching the gospel to them in the letter, and he wants to do more uh, when he gets there. But I do think it's really significant to look at the book of Acts. Uh, so Paul's first and second missionary journeys, he's planting churches. Um, evangelism was not, uh, hey, Timothy, I, I heard there's an opening at Laodicea, you know, in your <laughs> and see if you can get that pulpit. Um, it's, he's out, he, he, when he gets to town, everybody's an unbeliever as far as jesus is concerned he starts with the jews in the synagogue who believe there's the god of israel and the messiah is going to come someday but they don't already believe it's jesus and after some are taught and some reject and he's kicked out he goes to the gentiles who are pagans and so he's teaching unbelievers all the time now on the third missionary journey what's he doing yeah, he's mostly visiting churches he's already helped to establish. Now he's yeah. correcting, strengthening, uh, and then helping them to bear good fruit by participating in some work that he's doing. Now there's still, in Acts 19, for almost three years, he's at Ephesus, and the word is spreading throughout Asia, so there's still a lot of that. But it's important to do both. Yeah. Uh, we, we need to uh, teach people that are not Christians, and we need to help listen ourselves and help others who are Christians. Um, and I think it's helpful to have both, you know, some works that are planting works and some works that are established works. Uh, I'll share, I'll share a story in a minute. Um, I'll go ahead and share it now. So I'm going to do my best. Uh, attempted a Tom Butler impersonation. <laughs> Butler, I'm sure, is uh, no longer with us here below. He was an elderly man when I was about 19 or 20, or 21, somewhere in there. Uh, but I will never forget what he told us. So there was a few of us young guys, late teens, maybe early 20s, and we were interested in preaching, and Tom Butler came to speak to us. Uh, he was an old man, he was a widower, uh, he was bald, and uh, he seemed to be in a grumpy mood that day. <laughs> but 
Um, and what, what he was being, he was being firm. Mm. Uh, but he, he, he wasn't fluffy. Uh, he had a chance to talk to some young men, and he was not fluffy. This is what he said. You young guys, you come in, you, you, you tell me that you want to preach. No, you don't. You don't want to preach. You want a pulpit and a paycheck. Because if you wanted to preach, you don't need anybody's permission for that. He said, there's people all over this community that don't know the Lord. Go down to the library, you know, reserve a room for 7.30 this evening, then go through the community, and you tell people that you're going to be preaching on the gospel of Jesus Christ tonight at the library at 7.30. If you really wanted to preach, just do it. Amen. And that, that made a, 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 a big impression on me. Um, and I, I'm glad he didn't say it fluffy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember um, Alan Yader, who is, uh, I think you know Alan. Oh, yeah. Um, Alan helped get me into preaching. Did he? Yeah. He helped me into preaching. Um, he, uh, he's, he's, he's known me since I was five years old, I guess. Um, but I remember Alan telling me, uh, you know, preaching is not for people who can. Preaching is for people who can't not. And and I think that's kind of what you know your town butler is, is saying is is preaching is not something that you do when someone supports you to do it or when someone pays you to do it or someone provides an opportunity. Like you are going to go looking and you can't not see the opportunities to teach. Uh, and uh and that's that's huge. Uh, Dan Kane uh, was coming to Boston when we were still in Boston. And uh, I was talking with him about his plans to come. And I don't know, I was, I was thinking, I don't know, Dan was such a young guy at the time. I think he was 20, maybe 21, uh, but way beyond his years in maturity. Just he's always been a mature guy. Um, but uh, I was thinking, man, I don't know if you're, if you're ready for this or not. I was only 26, so I don't know what I was talking about. Um, I was almost trying to discourage him from coming. I just wanted to see if he was serious or not. And he finally just got to the point where he said, look, I don't, I don't need you guys to, to preach here or not. Like, I, I don't need your support or your encouragement or like, I'd, I'd like to have it, but I'm coming. And my plan is I'm going to come and I'm going to set up shop here in Boston and I'm going to start preaching. Um, and that let us know pretty quick he was serious about it. And he did. He got really busy. And that, that's such a evangelism is for people who just can't not do it. Um, and hopefully, hopefully that would be every Christian. Uh, we'd all see the need for that. But there's a difference between those who evangelize and someone who's given their life to it, which is the evangelist. And they, they fill their time uh, seeking those opportunities. So Tom Butler, um, you were 18, 19 at the time. 19 or 20, I think. So what what was it about this particular work? Uh, I mean, you could have done lots of different things. Why why be an evangelist? So there was there's two or three things. Uh, one, Alan Yeager. Uh, so I, I wasn't planning on preaching. Uh, now, my dad's a preacher. He's still preaching. Uh, my grandfather was an elder. Now, both my mom and my dad can remember 
could remember when one of their parents became a Christian. Dad could remember when his dad became a Christian. Mom could remember when her mom became a Christian. But I was raised in a home by by Christians, and Dad was a preacher. I was not, but Dad never pushed any of us preach. We all ended up preaching, but Dad never. He he wanted us to serve the Lord, but he never pushed preaching. Right, and I wasn't wasn't planning it. Uh, in fact, I was holding a meeting in Hartsville, Alabama, a few years ago, and a lady that knew me. Uh, she was just a little bit older than me, but she knew me when I was a high schooler. Said, "I remember, but you you were over at our house, and somebody asked you, Scott, what are you going to do?" And I said, "I don't know, but I'll tell you one thing: I'm not going to do. I'm not going to be a preacher." <laughs> so I didn't remember that conversation. But so, um, Up you there. Why would you say you wouldn't want to? I don't remember saying it. I oh. just, I would just. Not, I knew I wasn't planning on it. Okay. But I didn't know I'd ever said that, but she remembered me saying that. Okay, I'll come back to that. Go ahead. Uh, I, I was actually thinking about being an editorial cartoonist. I had a uh, local newspaper published uh, one or two of my cartoons and done an article on me, and I was kind of interested in that. But I also realized you cannot be a very successful editorial cartoonist and fulfill the instruction in First Peter to honor the king. Uh, you know, you, it's, those two things don't fit very well together. Uh, but I started out as an art major, um, and I might've done a lot of everything. So I thought about, uh, police work for a little while, thought about going in as a, uh, work with juveniles, um, and did some checking into that. But one of the things that got me interested was, let's see, I was 18. Uh, I was in college and Alan Yader, had spent the summer before, well, area you would know well, uh, uh, Morgan County, Alabama, mm. and uh, church out at Somerville. Uh, he had spent the summer working with the young people, teaching out there and also teaching the young people. Um, and he wasn't going to be preaching there that next summer, but he knew they could use somebody to teach the Wednesday night class. And so he asked me if I would go out there and work with those teens on Wednesday night in their Wednesday night class. So I said, sure, because he knew I was going to be about 20 miles away. So I went out and I remember what I taught. I taught about examples. Um, and it was basically very simple. Follow good examples. Don't follow bad examples. And be a good example. Don't be a bad example. After we got done, um, we went back in the auditorium. There was uh, invitation. There was an invitation song, and two of the young men, at least one of them, still had wire pliers in his back pocket. They would work on go karts and stuff. Uh, walked up to the front and said they had not been being uh, as good examples as they should be, and they wanted to be better. Wow! And that made an impression on me. Wow. And it's like just you know putting together the scriptures and going over the lesson had really benefited them and they took it serious and their taking it serious made me take it more serious because then i started thinking about you know, the pharisees would say but do not and there were some ways which i was not being a good example and so i went out to the car and i thought about it and i thought i need to be a better example 
And so that weighed heavy on, but I, I, they, they encouraged me a lot in that. So that's one of the things that got me interested. I still wasn't planning on preaching or thinking about preaching, but I, I saw the beauty involved in teaching the word of God and benefiting people. Yeah. And that was exciting. So, so second Timothy four become a time when they will not endure sound teaching. If, if the opposite is at work, when there are people who demand sound teaching and respond to sound teaching, that's mighty encouraging to. Oh, it, is. it is. Yeah. Then later, uh, while I was in college a year or two later, I was, or maybe some months later, I was listening to a lesson somebody was doing and I thought, and wouldn't it be cool if you could spend your time studying the Bible and teaching the Bible? And then a little light bulb went off in my head. I realized that that would be preaching. Yeah. And that's when I got interested. Yeah. But so there are there are people um who get into preaching and for whatever reason they get into it for for selfish reasons oh um, yeah i remember a guy it was toward the end of college and we're graduating we're talking about what we're going to do and this guy says well uh i think i'll preach i got to do something no yeah yeah it's almost like it's a fallback. And um, you, you look at Isaiah 52, and Paul references that in Romans, um, how beautiful are the feet of the one who brings good news. And I take it from that passage, his feet have been mangled up because he's been going over the mountaintops. <laughs> There's a lot of hard work, and you get you get hurt. If you do it right, you get yeah. reaching. It's not always encouraging. It's uh, A lot of times it's this lonely work. Um, it's discouraging work. Um, but it's it, it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, I just I do see a lot of a lot of need. And Jesus talks about how white the fields are for harvest, and there are few workers. Pray for workers. Um, and there was something in you that even though you don't remember it, you said, "I'll never be a preacher." Um, I, I was um, I knew a girl once who said that she could never marry a preacher. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and that's. That's hard. Um, I happened to marry a girl uh, who, whether she married a preacher or not, was going to be bit busy with evangelism. She, Lindsay, uh, my wife Lindsay, was de Hut. She uh, uh, she had already made two trips to the Philippines with Bob Buchanan, and uh, had gone to Chile to help teach ladies' classes and children's classes there. And she'd made up her mind that uh, if if uh, no man came along to court her properly, she was just going to go off and be a single lady and live in the Philippines. Uh, yeah. uh, I want to share a couple of stories uh, real, real quick. Um, when the Berlin Wall came down, I went over to East Europe and we went through and I checked out, we went to like East Germany, Poland, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, and I selected Prague to go, and some other guys selected Prague to go, um, and a number of people have worked in Prague over the years, but the most lasting work 
I think, from my point of view, of all the many different Americans that went to prom, were both done by guys that were not, had not been evangelists before they went. Mm. One was Mike Morrow, who you may know, um, and the other was Lonnie Aldag. And Mike uh, has since passed away. Um, he'd been a businessman. He was stock crash of 86. He lost about a quarter of a million dollars. His partners declared bankruptcy. He didn't. Uh, but his wife left him. And, you know, several things were turned upside down. But he heard that uh, Dad and I were going to be in the Czech Republic. And he said he'd like to come. And I, a friend called and asked what I thought about it because he was thinking about helping him come. And I said something that I've often thought of because it was so uh, under what ended up happening. I said, I think that would be good for him. I had no idea how good the work would be for mine. Hmm. Um, and so he came and he helped. He didn't do as much teaching at the beginning but then as he helped, he started taking on more and he spent most of the rest of his life there. And a lot of the work done in Prague was due to Mike. And the other guy was Lonnie Oldag. Lonnie was a college student. He wasn't preaching. And he had decided he was willing to come over on his own dime and just help out. And he'd said, yeah, we like you. You need help with you know laundry or watch the kids. You know, he just wanted to help out. And I remember one guy thought, why are those guys coming up here? We don't need them. And I I was glad they were coming. And, you know, it kind of helped them get planted. And and um, one day, I ended up double booked for a study. And so I said, Lonnie, could you teach that one? And he did. And then he started going out and getting studies. And then he helped. Uh, a lot with the work down in Chesapeake Beach. In fact, he baptized the guy that led to churches being established in other cities and a number of people. And this, both of those guys ended up being evangelists. Uh-huh. But they were both just people who went over to help. Yeah. And so I think there's a big lesson in that. And we that people should not have a professional view of evangelism. I guess a career choice. Like you, you go to career day and you know which one is the, the right yeah, choice. Yeah. And and if they picture and here's another thing too, the idea of okay, I'll start at this church and then I'll advance up to this one and then advance up to this one and advance up to this one. Oh. Trying to be in pulpits to be seen in. Uh I, I'm glad when big churches and Areas where there's lots of churches have good preachers, that's good. You know, I want good teaching there too. But I'm also glad when I see men at those places go to other places. I, uh, somebody you and I both have a lot of respect for, of course, Sewell Hall. Um, and Sewell's done a lot of good, along with a lot of good people down at Embry Hills and Atlanta. But Sewell was in his 70s, if not 80s, when he went to Manhattan, you know. And he's done work in Nigeria and he's done work, you know, just all over the place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is. 
you've got to have the right motivation in order to do something like that. Um, because it doesn't get as much attention maybe, or it doesn't get, uh, you know, as much financial security involved with it, things like that. Um, yeah. So There's what- Doing it for attention. Right. So what, what advice would you give then um, to a young man that, imagine you're talking to a young man that you think has it in him to do good work as an evangelist, but he's just not sure that that's that's the right fit for him. How would you talk through that? Because because you want there to be more workers in the kingdom, but you don't want to convince somebody who's yeah. doesn't have part in it. What would you say? I, I wouldn't I wouldn't push him into it. Um, if he wasn't sure it was the thing for him, I I think I'd probably encourage him to just you know be serving the Lord and looking for lost souls in whatever he's doing, like. If right now he's working for this corporation, you know, you know, at lunchtime, if you can get a Bible study going or just, you know, yeah. just do, if you can take a, teach one of the classes, you know, get a Bible study in your neighborhood and stuff. I wouldn't try to push him into being, being a preacher. Right. Uh, I would encourage him to be a Christian and a light to the world. Yeah. As he did that, if he decided Man, I want to do more of this. Great. Yeah, that's kind of where I was. I was, you know, seventeen, and um, I was seriously considering uh, what I was going to be doing after high school. Uh, and I had been teaching lots of Bible studies on the side with friends at school, and starting to teach some of the classes uh, where, I, where I worshipped, and um, and I had a buddy, and I thought. I don't know if I want to preach full time or not, but uh, my buddy said, "Don't bury your talents in the sand," and that just that stuck with me too. Because mm -hmm. uh, if, if I'm going to use whatever gifts God's given me to serve as best as I'm able in the kingdom, uh, then I'm going to take every opportunity and and try to try to please Him in whatever whatever ways come my way. So it may mean evangelism or as a full-time evangelist, or it may just mean teaching my neighbors, teaching my kids. Um, what what would you say then to, to parents as they're trying to encourage sons or even to, to young women uh, thinking about the work of an evangelist? Because um, I, I think about, you know, evangelists who need wives, uh, Paul, of course, was not married. Um, you, know, you have several evangelists who are not. How would you, you have any thoughts about that? Yeah. So, and, and this is just personal. I, I think I, I, I've done the same thing that my dad did. Uh, dad didn't push us to preach, and I didn't push uh, the kids to preach or to marry preachers. Um, but like Zach preached a sermon down at, uh, he's got a job uh, down there, but you know, he preached a sermon at uh, Henderson Boulevard the other Sunday morning. Uh, Luke uh, has done some teaching here at Harrisburg, um, usually like a, a, a short talk or something or taught a class. He's done a real good job and I really, you know, I, I enjoy hearing him teach, but I, I, I don't push him to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, my oldest daughter, 
married a guy who's an engineer, but he's very evangelistic, and they've made a point, as you know, to move to places where there's new church plantings and, and to help out. Uh, my middle daughter married a co-worker <laughs> that had come to work with me, and then my youngest daughter married a co-worker that had come to work with me. Um, you have to train your sons-in-law, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I just I think about my sons and my daughters. Of course, my oldest son Elijah, uh, he's been on the the program with us before. He's fourteen. I was talking with him just the other day about the work of an evangelist, and um, and like like your dad, and I think like you, I, I don't want to pressure my children into something that that is not what they think they should be doing for the Lord. Uh, I don't want them to feel like this is out of necessity, but it's something they would do because they're eager for it, like in Romans 1. Yeah, yes. But yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. But, but just, just asking him, like, you know, where do you think your skills lie? And where do you think you can best serve? Of course, he's just 14. But I'm just thoughtful about raising raising my kids to be deadly. You know, that they, they are arrows in the hands of a warrior. And so my children should be um, threats to Satan and to the kingdom yeah. of darkness. Yeah. So they are evangelists or the wives of evangelists or the mothers and fathers of evangelists. It doesn't really matter, but they're serving the kingdom. In yeah. Yeah. And whether they're an evangelist like Paul or Timothy, or whether they're just very effective disciples like Aquila and Priscilla. Yes. Uh, yeah. Like, here's a question. Here's two churches. One church is full of Aquilas and Priscilla's. Maybe they're all young and they don't have elders yet. And maybe they don't have a preacher. Here's another church. And they've got a preacher and he practices his sermon at length. And he's very smooth and organized in his delivery. And, and they've got some elders, but you got no close souls. Which church is going to grow? Oh, man. In, in 10 years, that second one might not be around at all. <laughs> Maybe not. And yeah, one with the Aquilas and Priscilla's. Yeah. Yeah. Each other and taking care of each other and growing fast. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And that's, you know, if, if, if our sons and daughters grow up to be an Aquila or a Prisca, beautiful. Yeah. Amen. And if, if they decide to be a Luke or a Timothy or a Titus, also beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as you, because you have helped train young men as preachers, and of course, your like you said, your father preached, um, and Paul talked about fulfilling the work, fulfilling the ministry. What are some obstacles that kind of get in the way of doing the work of an evangelist? Ourselves, uh, in Acts chapter twenty. Um, when Paul's talking to the elders, he said, take ye to yourselves into all the world. And so we need to teach ourselves. Like that, that first class I taught, um, where I was a bad example. And I wasn't focusing on that when I did that area of my life. And, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> and by the time he got done, 
he made it clear that it was his wife's husband. <laughs> <laughs> she she only had one husband, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you know, we gotta we gotta watch our egos. Uh, we gotta watch hypocrisy. Um, and there's been times when I've you know not handled my not been disciplined enough and uh, with my time and, and different things. Uh, you've I, we can be our own worst enemy sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, we, we we get in God's way. Um, yeah. Dan Kane told me once his his um, his approach to evangelism was to try to see whatever it was that God was doing in someone's life and then join in. Um, oh, very good. I like that. And it's just you're you're keeping God in the picture, and you're you're trying to look to see what what He's doing. Try to look at people the way He looks at people. Um, and if, if we're so full of ourselves, we just don't make much room for God. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, one other thing I would really recommend is um, we, we study God's word, not just to teach, but we study God's word because we need it. And I, I found oftentimes I get I get caught where I'm just studying, 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 so I can teach this class or teach this personal study or uh, prepare for this sermon or this lecture, and I forget I need to take personal, private time because God's trying to talk to me. And unless I can make application to myself, I've got no business making application to anybody else's life. And one other thing I'd like, yes, we've got to apply it to ourselves. Uh, one other thing I'd like to stress is this. The way we evaluate preaching, too much emphasis is put on pulpit performance. Uh, now, please, if you're going to be in the pulpit, try to do a good job to hear right. the word. But man, so many things we talk about here, but I'll just throw out a couple. Um, I've seen young men with huge ego problems. And whether when they're up front, whether it was teaching or leading singer or whatever, it's a performance. It is. And what I'm trying to tell you, I said, don't get in the way of the message. Yeah. You know, you're, you, this is, it's, Patty Kinnaball used to put it this way. He said, I got it. Um, he said, it's not about you. <laughs> said that over and over. Uh, we talked to the guys at Alabama uh, camp one time. It's not about you. From South Africa, it comes across a little differently. Um, and sometimes, see, a church is wanting to bring in somebody to work with them in evangelism, and they'll schedule him and they'll listen to him preach, you know, maybe five sermons, and then they're thinking, well, he was a good preacher. Well, he's a better preacher than that guy over there. Well, I didn't think it was a good... They're evaluating his performance in the pulpit, which, okay, if it was monotone and uninteresting and you didn't learn anything and it was all rudimentary and it was off balance, okay, yeah, don't, don't go that way. But what's done in the pulpit is a 
fraction of, of the, the real work that, that gets done and needs to be done. So much is done over a kitchen table, um, is done in conversations with people, is done in a coffee shop. It's, that's, right. that's not, and, and lastly, I'll, here, this was a preacher explained how he saw preaching. Uh, he preached on Sunday. And then after preaching, he took Monday off. And then on Tuesday, and I might get the details wrong, but it's something like this. On Tuesday, he started planning what he would preach the next Sunday. And then on Wednesday, he would start writing the sermons. And then on Thursday, he would start practicing and performing the sermons. And it That's a lot of work for a very short amount of effort. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think that was what Paul meant when he said, do the work of an evangelist. Yeah. Nothing wrong with being an apologist and being eloquent and put preparation into your work. Absolutely. But. Yeah. Well, and, and on that, I, I know of a guy who talked about he would share his sermon with a few chosen people uh, before he preached to get their feedback, uh, especially on particular topics um, to help him prepare. And so there's a lot of preparation that needs to be put into this, but you're right, there's so much more. Uh, I'll just share one passage and then you can have the closing word on this. But in First Thessalonians 2, uh, Paul writes about their work there with the saints in Thessalonica. Uh, in verse eight, be affectionately desirous, desirous of you we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves yes. because you'd become very dear to us. So preaching the gospel, being a good messenger, uh, it, it's about more than just what you teach. It's about who you are. Yes. We care about people. Yes. It's about people. Several times to talk to young men, because sometimes young men have been given the opposite advice. Sometimes people will say, don't let them turn you into an errand boy. Don't, you know, uh, thinking that you're the one that's going to shovel the snow at the building. You're the one that's going to do this. You're the one that's going to give a ride to somebody at the airport. Don't let them do that. And I know a preacher, when he went to a congregation, he, he refused to go on the cleaning list to take his turn rotating cleaning the building. And I encourage guys. I, I, don't, I don't see brethren doing that. Now, if you see brethren trying to turn you into Aaron Boy, then you can correct that. But that's not the way I see people. Right. And well, two, talk to them. If you're going to think about going and working with a congregation, talk to the people. If that's their idea ahead of time, wow. a place to go. But when you go, man, when you when you take the time to help people with things, maybe there's, an, maybe there's a, a single mom or something and she needs a car repair done and you know how to fix cars or get junkyard parts or something. You know, go get it and fix it for her. You know, uh, get that power window working for her or whatever. Yeah, it's an older couple and they they're, need their gutters clean, their paint. You say, hey, yeah, I can come over and help out. You know, pitch in and help do things. Uh, that's not, don't make your whole week doing that. But it's just part of being a servant that you help people out with things. And here's the deal. You get to know people when your yes. work project together. Yes. Whether it's moving uh, 
somebody that's from one house to another or fixing something or you're putting on a roof with some other brethren or you know a member that doesn't have much money and you get out there with the other guys you get to know each other better yeah you learn people's strengths you also may see some of their weaknesses but you learn to know each other better and they learn that you're not just a stuffed shirt they will appreciate and respect that you're working and doing manual labor with them. Yeah, you, you build a sense of rapport and trust so that your words come across more effectively. Yeah, yeah, be an example of good works, Paul said. Well, Scott, this is, there's a lot more we could talk about here with this. Um, and maybe we'll come back to this in a future date, but I just, I, I really wanted to think about this work. And it's good for me but knowing some people who are thinking about this kind of work and encourage others to take this kind of work seriously. Uh, so thanks for your time today and, and talking through this. Uh, well, that's, that's all that we have time for today with our discussion. Thanks for tuning in. And if you found this study of God's word helpful, uh, please share with others. And again, if you have thoughts or questions, and you'd like to share your requests for future studies and discussions, you can visit our website, biblequest.tv. Uh, thanks for joining in. God be with you. And if he's willing, we'll see you next week.